Welcome to Black Fashion History, the podcast that celebrates the contributions of Black people to the fashion industry. It's Black History, but make it fashion. And I'm your host, Taniqua Martin. Welcome back. And if you're listening to my voice, this means that I have another exciting Black Fashion History installment to share with you. If you're the type of person who thinks that accessories make the look and accessories is what allows you to express your style, then you're going to love this episode because today we are talking about the first commercial African-American jeweler in the United States. So essentially, she is the accessories queen. I can't wait to share with you about the life and the work of Winifred Mason Chenette. Winifred Mason Chenette was born in 1918 to West Indian parents in Brooklyn, New York, and she got her start during what is known as the modernist jewelry movement in the 1930s. This movement lasted from the mid-1930s to the 1970s, and as I mentioned at the beginning, she is reported to be the first commercial African-American jeweler in the United States. Winifred first learned to work with her hands during her childhood in Brooklyn when her mother, who was from St. Martin, taught her how to sew, knit, and embroider, all things that related to fashion and works of the hand and got her really excited and inspired to eventually go into jewelry making as she became older. Outside of jewelry making, she was a very gifted student and she graduated with a Bachelor of Science in English Literature and received a Master's in Teaching from New York University, aka NYU. Growing up, Winifred was uninspired by the jewelry and the designs that she would see in department stores. And so she began making jewelry for herself by hand in her parents' Brooklyn home in 1935. And that's when her career as a jeweler began. Her homemade jewelry sparked the interest of many black women in her community, which caused her clientele to increase over the years, um, especially when she graduated from NYU. After graduating with her master's, she began teaching arts and crafts as well as making jewelry in the city of Harlem. And she opened her shop in Harlem in the mid-1940s, causing her work to grow even more popular among the black artist scene. In fact, her Harlem shop became sort of a training space for young black artists, including Jula Art Smith, which we've talked about on this podcast. He was one of her early assistants, apprentices, and um, helped her around her shop. As a jeweler, Winifred Mason Chenette believed in using innovative practices and creating custom designs for each of her clients, so none of her pieces were alike. This obviously caught the eye of many celebrities who enjoyed the privilege of having custom pieces that other people wouldn't have, and one of her most famous clients and celebrities was Billie Holiday who wore many of Mason Jeanette's pieces as she performed in different clubs in New York City. Winifred Mason Jeanette was known for using simple tools to create these custom designs, and she loved exploring materials and patterns found in folklore in the West Indies, Africa, and in the African diaspora. In 1945, Winifred received the Rosenwald Foundation Fellowship, which allowed her to travel and to live in the West Indies for about half a year to gather inspiration for her jewelry. Then the Rosenwald Fund grant led her to Haiti, where she 
developed the inspiration for most of her creations. And when she returned, began creating jewelry pieces honoring the spiritual and cultural practices of the island. So quick side note, but many black artists of the Harlem Renaissance received grants through the Rosenwald Foundation or the Rosenwald Fund. And that fund was established by businessman and philanthropist Julius Rosenwald in 1917. And he created the fellowship program in 1928 to give financial support to black creatives and strengthen their talents. So if you look at the stories of Many of the Black poets and artists during the Harlem Renaissance, it is likely that they received a Rosenwald grant to further their talents and their projects. As an example for her love and connection to the West Indies and the African diaspora and it as a source for inspiration of her jewelry, I'm going to read an excerpt of her personal statement that she wrote to receive the Rosenwald grant. So Winifred Mason said, through the medium of jewelry, I shall aim to express the desires and aspirations of the West Indian people, which are parallel to the desires and aspirations of the American Negro or any other group which has felt the yoke of oppression and injustice. So her desire was not just to make a fashion statement or make jewelry, but to really tell the stories of her people in creative ways and the stories of Black people around the world in creative ways, ultimately highlighting all of their experience on a mainstream stage. After a trip to Haiti that was funded by the Rosenwald Grant, Winifred began incorporating themes of Haitian folk art and voodoo symbolism within her work. And this was the beginning of a long-term connection and relationship that she'll begin to have with the country of Haiti. She also expanded the types of materials that she began to use in her jewelry work. So when she started making her homemade jewelry, she mostly relied on copper. And then when she returned from Haiti, she began to incorporate more things like silver, aluminum, gold, and pewter. She also started making more items, whereas first she would only make necklaces. Now she made earrings, brooches, bracelets, and necklaces. Of course, being the amazing jeweler that she was, people couldn't get enough of her work, so she was courted by many major department stores. Her jewelry was sold at Lord & Taylor, among other famous department stores at the time, and she created jewelry for exhibitions in the United States and in Haiti. By the late 1940s, 10 exhibitions of her jewelry had already been staged. In 1948, she changed her shop from one that sold just her jewelry to a store named the Haitian Bazaar, where she sold imported Haitian art, oil paintings by Haitian artists, as well as home decor and fashion jewelry that she made, as well as other things that she found in her travels to Haiti. That same year, she married Haitian artist Jean Yvonne Chenette, which is how she got the name Mason Chenette. And the following year, she moved to Haiti with her husband and they built a jewelry manufacturing business that catered to tourists. Together, the couple designed beautiful and innovative styles of souvenir jewelry under the brand name Chenette Deity. And the jewelry was heavily inspired, like most of her jewelry that she created when she came back from Haiti, was heavily inspired by the culture of the country, Haitian voodoo, and sold in their store in New York, the Haitian Bazaar store, as well as stores around Haiti and around the world. 
And if you were to go on Etsy or eBay right now and type in Winifred Mason or Mason Chanette, a lot of the jewelry pieces that you will see people reselling are those from the Chanette Deity line that they created during their time living in Haiti. Beautiful, beautiful pieces. Of course, I encourage you all to shop on Etsy or eBay if you want a little piece of Black fashion history or just to look to see the things that she created. Winifred and her husband's work was very important because it highlighted stories of Black people in the diaspora in a way that was not being shown and it offered like a counter image to what was being shown in the culture. So many of American portrayals of voodoo around this time or Haitian people around this time really was more in a demonic way, a negative way. And through her work and the work of her husband, they wanted to highlight the culture of this area, the beauty and the aesthetics of the Haitian people and their practices at the time. Unfortunately, Winifred's husband was brutally attacked while they were living in Haiti and she was able to survive this attack and escape and return to the United States by the mid-1960s and lived a quiet life until her death in 1993 which to my surprise when I was looking things up is quite recent. Even though she's no longer with us, her jewelry remains as a source of inspiration for many artists and many jewelers and fashion designers around the world. And that's it, guys. Thanks again for tuning into another episode of Black Fashion History. If you loved what you heard, and I know you did, make sure to subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcasting platforms and on all social media at Black Fashion History Podcast. Don't forget to visit us online at our website, blackfashionhistory.com. And of course, if you don't do any of that stuff, make sure to tune in again next week for another Black Fashion History installment. Bye-bye.